0: Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Shouse, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, this past week, Jason
1: preached in the AM service, and he's kind of bouncing off our theme and particularly our uh, sub-theme for this quarter, and that's The glory of the Lord, and he preached about show me your glory. It's a great passage from the book of Exodus. You know, there's there's places in our Bible that when we read them, there's times when we say, "Man, I'm so glad I wasn't there," (laughs) but there's other times we read and say, "Man, I wish I could have been there." Yeah, and and this is one of them. Uh, Moses wanted to see God's glory. And as a text, let me just read it a little bit, then we're going to kick it back to you, Jason. But here in Exodus chapter 33, um, God tells Moses in verse 20, "'You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live.' Then the Lord said, "'Behold, there's a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it shall come about, uh, while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by.'" Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see." Right there. I wish there was another verse. No doubt. This is what I saw. <laughs> you know? And, and it's just, it's just a, a, a marvelous concept. Let's first walk through the sermon. Sure. It's on our website. And uh, we encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, to do it. It's a great reminders, great lesson. It reminds us of, of who God is. And sometimes in our culture, we want to manufacture a God to our liking. And we need to see the God that is demonstrated to us through the scriptures. And one of the ways we see this
0: is through his glory. Yeah. Yeah. As you mentioned, our, our theme for the year is bringing the best and just such a, a great phrase that we get to play with all year long. And we break those down into quarter kind of sub-themes, like you said. And Roger, you do a great job of doing that. I I don't know how many of our people know you really kind of take the lead on that. And uh, the first quarter of the year, the glory of the Lord is our focal point. God is the best. And because he is the best and we are invited to have a relationship with him, we have the opportunity to bring our best. But as I have thought about that glory of the Lord idea for the Last now going on a couple of months. It it is something that we hear all the time. I mean, how many of the songs that we sing reference God's glory? But it is the sort of thing, maybe we really struggle with words to describe, or I, I'm invited to envision this, imagine this, but I don't quite know what to imagine. And so I have been just personally doing a lot of thinking about that, and this passage was one that I knew, uh, would be good for our church family to think about in light of that overall theme. The glory of the Lord. That, that word glory, it literally in Hebrew is from a word that means heavy or weighty and We spend a little bit of time on Sunday morning, just asking, "Well, when you imagine the weightiness or the the heaviness, the glory of the Lord, what?" comes to your mind. And if you're like me, the first thing that comes to your mind is his matchless might, his great strength and an unrivaled power. And Moses had certainly seen that, right? He had a front row seat alongside a couple million Israelites and and even the Egyptians and their King Pharaoh. But what is fascinating to me in Exodus 33 and 34 is Moses has this powerful relationship with God, and he reaches a point where he says, please show me your glory. And God doesn't give him a bigger earthquake to feel or a a brighter bolt of lightning or fire from heaven. He passes by him, like you said, holds Moses in a cleft of the rock and reveals priceless elements of his character. He reveals himself as a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is something that ought to make us stop in our tracks because as awesome as it would be to see fire fall down from heaven or a a powerful earthquake, the earth opening and swallowing rebellious human beings alive or the, the waters of the Red Sea parted, that would be awesome in every sense of the word to see, but it is not just the might of God, but his character that powerfully reveals an aspect of his glory and so uh let's just begin with with a a couple of takeaways couple of questions
1: about that so, you know, as you said, Moses had seen God's power. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was there when, when he was before Pharaoh and he threw down that staff and became a snake. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty powerful right there. Uh, turning the Nile into blood and, and then all through those ten plagues. And then the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, there has been just miracle after miracle after miracle up to this point. So when, when he asks,
0: show me your glory. Why was that important to Moses? Yeah, well, I, I I can only speculate, but when we put the pieces together in Exodus 32, that is that chapter that describes the ugly golden calf scene, right? Moses has been up with God. The children of Israel have entered into a covenant. And while God is delivering the law and the pattern of the tabernacle and all of those things, the people get restless. They compel Aaron. Moses' brother to build a golden calf, and many thousands of them lose their lives, right? It is one of the ugliest scenes in this section of Scripture. In the next chapter, Exodus 33, is where God says, it's time for you to leave. I mean, we do a little bit of piecing together, and we can figure out the children of Israel have been at Mount Sinai for nearly a year, Maybe we don't naturally get that when we're doing our first read-through, but they've been there for a long time. God doesn't just say it's time to go, but he even goes so far as to say, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Uh, the The problems of Exodus 32 are obviously bleeding into Exodus 33. And this throws Moses for a loop, right? Moses uh, basically says, well, if you're not going to go with us, there, there's no way this is going to work. And uh, Moses has a Face to face with the Lord, in a sense, at the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and it is on the back end of that meeting that God says, okay, my presence will go with you. Uh, but you, you get the sense it is, it is only a, a fraction or a shadow of, the full glory of the Lord. If the full glory of the Lord is among this unholy people, it's like they will just be chaff that is consumed by fire. And so in the wake of this news that God is not pleased. His presence is going to go with the people. There is a very great deal of uncertainty in the mind of this 80-year-old man as to what all of this is going to look like. And so that is the time that he says to God, please show me your glory. He, He wants this assurance that God is not going to leave him alone with these rebellious children of Israel. And that, that is when we've got this powerful encounter. And it's interesting in verse 20, the Lord says, you cannot see my face. Yeah.
1: Now, Moses said, show me your glory. And God connects it to his being, yeah so, so there's not a separation there to show the glory of God is to show God and that, and that's connected there in verse twenty as that continues on, the Lord says, "You cannot see my face, for
0: no man can see me and live." yeah, how come well <laughs> it, it is too glorious it, it is too weighty um i I struggle with how to put words to this, but we know that he is not a human being. He does not have flesh and blood like we do. He is not limited in time and space the way we are. It is, you know, as, as Piercing as it is on a sunny day to look up, you, you know, some of us weren't that bright as little kids, and every once in a while, someone would com, uh, convince us to play a stare at the sun game. You know, who can stare at it long? You you don't do that very long at all, right? Just glimpsing the sun is overwhelming to our eyes, and that would be like the tiniest speck of light if if you will compared to the full glory of the face of almighty God. So then we go to the last page of our Bible. Yeah. In
1: Revelation 22 verse 4 there is the promise that we shall see his face. Yeah. Now that you know you put these two passages together And this is where some skeptics will say, aha, the Bible contradicts itself. (laughs) Over here it says, if you see my face, you cannot live. But over here in Revelation, we shall see his face. And it seems like, okay, those are opposites, and we got
0: a problem here. Yeah. Well, this is our Bible's end, of course, with this beautiful picture of renewal and restoration. Uh, We read about the tree of life, for instance, on the last page of the Bible that was lost in Genesis chapter three, right? We know that Adam and Eve had access, if you will, enjoyed communion, fellowship with the Lord that just has not been the same since humankind was banished from the garden of eden and and the tree of life and so what was enjoyed when all was good and there was no shame or rebellion sin against god will ultimately be restored and of all the spectacular things that you read about in revelation chapter 22 if you want to focus on the gold or the light or the thr- or the water of life or whatever it is, surely the most spectacular of all is this idea. Those servants of God reconciled by the blood of God's own son who are able to see his face, that will be the most spectacular aspect of it all.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, back to that Genesis reference, Genesis 3 verse 8, uh, it talks about how God was walking in the cool of the garden mm-hmm. yeah. and and so we we get that impression that God and Adam and Eve were just walking together that you know they they had that relationship but sin is what took that away salvation in Christ is what brings it back yeah. and and I think that's that's how we look at revelation 22 verse 4 and it's a promise to the saved that we will see his face. And that's that's sometimes just spectacular. You know what one of the thoughts that that uh, comes to our mind sometimes when we talk about praying to God um is, is what what image ought to come to my mind? You know, when, when we talk to somebody on the phone, a lot of times we can just, we don't have to get out our pictures and look at saying, no, what does this person look like? We, <laughs> you know, we, we, have an image that comes to our mind. And, and especially if it's one of our children, our parents, we, you know, we hear their voice so often, we know what they look like. Yeah. And so we're praying to God and, you know, some may just think of a, a cloud up there or some may think of a grandpa sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair. I mean, yeah. why? What image, or should there be an image, that comes to my mind when I pray?
0: Yeah, that is a great question. a couple of passages, maybe that would be helpful. As strange as it is, Ezekiel chapter one, I think, is a great passage to read in connection with that. Ezekiel, the prophet, is being given a glimpse of this being who is empowering him and commissioning him to prophesy, and there are all sorts of—I mean—spectacular in all capital letters—sorts uh, of things that. Let me just read uh, the very end where Ezekiel sees a throne, the likeness of a throne in verse 26, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around and downward from what had the appearance of his waist. I saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around And listen to this. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. There's our idea. And it's interesting to me. He doesn't even say such was the appearance of his glory it's such was the appearance of the likeness of his glory. Even there, you get the sense that God is only revealing what Ezekiel can endure as a a dust creature. You know, someone created, uh, yes, in the image of God, but of the stuff of the earth. And when Ezekiel sees it, he falls on his face. Revelation chapter one, John has this vision of the, not just the resurrected, but the glorified son of God. And you can read the description for yourself. When John sees him, what does he do? He falls on his face as if he were dead. I would suggest those two passages along with the awesome throne scene depicted in Revelation 4 and 5, you read those passages and you do not get the idea, well, this is just grandpa sitting on the couch and I'm just going to, you know, casually come by and flippantly address him and, uh, you know, talk to him the way that I would talk to someone on the bus beside me. No, When these people got the smallest of glimpses, it blew them away. And yes, we are invited to pray and pray to him as father in heaven in the name of his son. But there ought not to be anything flippant or casual or careless about addressing him in prayer. Absolutely. And I think that adoration that deserves
1: here will also be found in heaven oh, because, yes. because of who he is. I, I've had so many people say, well, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. I think, ah, I probably doubt you well. <laughs> I doubt you well. So, yeah. you know, you'll just have to live with those questions and kind of go with that. So at the end of your sermon, you said the real point of beholding the glory of the Lord yeah. is transformation. Yeah. And Let's talk about that for a minute. What what sure. first of all what do we mean by transformation?
0: Well, it's it's interesting to me uh, Moses in this encounter Exodus 33 verse 16 says that by God going with them he would make them distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. Um They weren't exactly distinct (laughs) on their own. We got a sense of that in Ezekiel or in Exodus chapter 32. And so what does it mean to be transformed? Well, it means to be different from number one, the people around me who don't have a relationship with God. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, picks up on all of this, references Moses' face gleaming, having to wear a veil when he came down from Mount Sinai, and he connects it to, well, we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And so that is a point that both Moses and the apostle Paul make. And it it ought to make sense to us, right? That our great privilege and opportunity is not just to point at this glory and say, wow, would you look at that? That's That's awesome. And then just go on living in whatever way we want to live. The point of beholding his glory is to understand this amazing, perfectly holy being wants a relationship with me. But in order to have that relationship, I, the sinner, must be transformed. That is most clearly seen in and through Jesus, right, to to be more and more like him. And the byproduct of that is the more I become like him, the more distinct I will be from the world that does not know him. Yeah, you know, when I hear that word
1: transform or transformation, you know, my kids were little, we, they had those little toys called oh, yeah. transformers. transformers, and they look like a car, and you flip this, you flip that, and you flip that, all of a sudden it's a robot or something. And, and, and so what happened is it changed. And so the idea of transformation is, it's not that I just add Sunday to a busy schedule. I just, you know, I'm just now going to church and and nothing else has changed. I have changed. I have changed. changed. And so with that, what
0: changes? Yeah, yeah. Well, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 reminds us of this call of God. You shall be holy for I am holy. That's going to bleed into the way I think, right? Makes us think perhaps of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where we're not conformed to this world. We don't think like this world anymore. We don't treat other people the way this world treats other people. We're not living for ourselves. I mean... How many human beings in the Bible and in everyday life all around us are living for their own glory? They are living as if they are the most glorious being that can possibly be imagined. No more of that. Don't don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, Paul says in Romans 12 verse 2, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I get put where I need to be. God is exalted where he should have been all along. My thinking changes, and now my responsibility is to apply the will of God to every aspect of my life. And so one final
1: question here as we kind of pull this together here and that is how do I know if I've been transformed or not? Yeah. I mean I read these verses and I think, well,
0: am I changed? How yeah. do I know? That can be tricky. I think because it is hard sometimes for us to see the progress that we are making by the the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ. Maybe The clearest indicators would be in the lives of the people around me. Are they noticing? I mean, if you want an honest answer to that question, ask your spouse, ask your kids, ask a brother or sister in Christ and be prepared because it may not be as flattering of an answer as you would like. But that, I think, is a good exercise every once in a while to to ask someone that you love and trust. Listen, I I, I am trying and I am a, a a human being just like everybody else. But do you see more of Jesus in me today than you might have seen a year ago or three years ago? or five years ago. And then when you look in the mirror and you're really honest with yourself, knowing where you've come from, we naturally, most of us, when our minds are where they ought to be, know where there is room for improvement. But every once in a while, we need to look back. I think, and realize just how far God has carried us and led us away from where we've been in the past. Yeah, and, and I
1: think there's some just telltale tests as you as you look at Jesus in the gospel. Am mm-hmm. I? Am I trying to help people or am I always talking about people? Yeah. am I compassionate or is my heart closed is kindness a characteristic of me or am I selfish and and so when you know when when you kind of walk through those things, you see that so uh being transformed is much much more than just sitting in the pew on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. it's being changed by these message of Jesus Christ, and so uh that's that's really where the glory of God ought to take us uh It's one thing to, to Get this glimpse to see what God is like. But to walk away unchanged, unmoved, yeah. uh, you're missing something. And, and we need, we need to be brought to a closer
0: understanding and a closer likeness. To what god is yeah it is a lifelong process and i appreciate you uh walking back through that with me i hope that it was encouraging it is wednesday and we are thankful for the opportunity to behold a little more of god's glory and try and encourage each other to do the same roger you're going to be teaching tonight in the auditorium yes we are walking through a series called expectations and tonight we're going to talk about
1: the expectations of prayer and. Uh Really appreciate uh, that avenue of being able
0: to talk to God. Yeah, yeah. We in our Building Blocks track of studies just began a little four-part series where we're asking, what does it mean to be holy? Last Wednesday, we looked at the idea of being dedicated. Tonight, Lord willing, 7 o'clock p.m., what's it mean to be holy? We're going to look at the idea of being separated, that distinct idea that we spent just a little bit of time talking about. This Sunday morning, Roger, you've got the opportunity to preach at 9.30 a.m. Yes,
1: and this is going to be part two of a four-part series. We're talking about things to remember. Based on John 13, 14, and 15, Jesus tells the disciples he's going to leave, but he doesn't just leave them alone. He lays down some principles for them and This coming Sunday, we're going to talk
0: about the idea of staying close to Jesus. Excellent. At 5 o'clock p.m., I've got the opportunity to preach, and I'm actually going to take us back to Exodus chapter 34 because... At the end of the sermon, I cut Moses off. And that, that, you gotta be careful with that, right? We heard as the Lord reveals himself as a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but an additional really important aspect of God's glory is his justice. And he continues to tell us a little bit more about that. And so we're going to swing back around and talk about how important it is to recognize and respect the justice of God as well. In the meantime, we so very much appreciate all of you for listening to this week at Charlestown Road. It would be great to see you tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.